What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So another edition of the Heel to the Face podcast is on the air. And Brandon, Trevor Murdoch has just beaten Aaron Stevens a couple days ago to become the new NWA television or North American champion, might I say. Uh, tell me offhand, because I know you don't remember, who was Trevor Murdoch's tag team partner in WWE? Oh shoot! Was it was it uh, Cage? Lance Cade. I was Lance right. Lance Cade. Was in two thousand and eight. That makes me feel old because if somebody came up to me in two thousand and tried to get me to remember somebody whose last appearance in WWE or F was nineteen eighty eight, I would go, "Are you crazy?" And here I am talking about a guy who literally hasn't wrestled in WWE in twelve years. But hey, he just won a championship and he still got it. We've got a lot more to talk about on this week's edition, including asking Brandon what his plans for the year 2022 are as the Heels of the Face podcast starts right now. So silence your cell phones, hold your applause, and tune into the truth. Oh, you didn't know? You asked better call somebody. Getting beat up by nine guys in Syracuse to me, there's not a whole lot of shame in. From the 315 to the world, this is the Heel of the Face podcast. The cream of the crop. Wow, man, freak out. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Heel to the Face. I said, are you ready? From Armory Square in downtown Syracuse, New York, let's send it now to Brandon and Jared. Bad luck seems to be my middle man. They might as well tag me up with my buddies from Syracuse. So this is another edition of the Heal the Face podcast. K-Rock Jared, that's where you can find me on social media. I am Jared Wicks, alongside Brandon Clements. You can find him on social media at Icebreaker21. The show on social media at Heal to the Face. Make sure if you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening to us on Spotify or any one of the podcast platforms, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any episodes. Uh, and let's just get right into this week's edition. We're coming off of Clash of Champions, heading into TakeOver 31. And, uh, well, Clash of Champions, I think we saw a little bit of what I predicted with the Roman Reigns world. He is the head of the tribe. And uh, what, did, what did you make of that match? What did you make of, you know, that going forward? Now, it's funny because we taped this prior to last week's SmackDown. And right when SmackDown happened, literally Roman Reigns kind of showed what I was saying all along, that he is, is going lone. He's going lone wolf here. Don't mean to take from Baron Corbin there, but he's going all by himself. And uh, what do you make of Roman Reigns and his little gimmick, his new head of the tribe? What do you make of that match in general? I mean, hey, I'll give you credit. You got that one right. I think it was more for me, more wishful, uh, more wishful thinking of having the bloodline, you know, together with all the Samoan uh, wrestlers, uh, past and present. That would have been cool. But I do like this Roman Reigns. Uh, I like the edge. I like this lone wolf mentality. He's and I would call him a, a Brock Lesnar but better. Like, I don't want to use the word steroids because uh, Vince, you know, Vince had that issue years ago, but he, he's, to me, he's, he's, he's Brock Lesnar, but just so much better. He gives you so much more. He can actually talk on the microphone because Brock, we all know, doesn't do that. And I think the pairing of him and Paul Heyman, again, is the best thing in wrestling right now. 
I thought the match uh, at, at the pay-per-view this past weekend, I thought it was fantastic. It was the perfect way to make, to make you know, put him even further into that realm of heel. It just He was destroying his, his cousin Uso there. And even Uso's other brother, uh, Jimmy, came down and uh, came down and said, kind of said, hey, we're waving the white flag, you know. So that was, that was to me, that was the key, key thing of the night. Um, I think overall, I think Roman Reigns is must-see TV. I think it's the one thing that's going to keep a lot of wrestling fans, at least the WWE Universe, intrigued, as I am. I, 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 it's, it was hard for me to watch, you know, the rest of the pay-per-view. The ladder match, you know, I, you know I, I got a little bit into that. But besides that, I wasn't really, like, falling in love with this pay-per-view. Like, I had to sit there and watch every second of it. But, you know, Roman Reigns is the real deal, man. I, I enjoyed the pay-per-view. I will say it started out really strong, then kind of had a lull point, and then obviously the two main events I thought really delivered. I think the main event between uh, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton really delivered when it comes to entertainment factor because of all the surprise uh, former legend spot and, and the return of the big show. That might even been a bigger deal than Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels to me. Uh, but it was, I think, was kind of cool because the big show came out probably five minutes into the match, and you thought, oh, okay, that's a cool, awesome big show's back. What a quick ending but then the match went on for like 20 more minutes and then there was christian cage in the background there was Shawn michaels with the super kick and then rick flair at the end driving the ambulance away i i thought overall for an ambulance match which is normally focused on the two competitors they found a way to make it kind of goofy and brutal at the same time and obviously that ladder match i really enjoyed jeff hardy i mean i'll say this much wwe the one thing they've liked to do lately with jeff hardy or at least in the last couple of years that it makes it even cringeworthy for me. And I'm somebody who loves Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber, ECW. But whenever they use his gauged ear in the match, this time they used it with the, the handcuff, Sami Zayn putting the handcuff rings through his ear and then, then attaching him to a ladder and pretty much drag, making him have to like drag his ear and his face back into the ring. Like anything with that stretched ear gimmick. I know we saw it a, a couple months earlier with Jeff Hardy and them using that, you know, stretching out his ear uh that that stuff gets to me every time it's like watching a horror movie but good for wwe because they, they get they gets me yeah i'll say this I, it, it's really gross but it you know wwe is using it and obviously jeff's okay with them doing it i mean jeff doesn't really care anyways jeff will use his body you know can he even hear anymore i mean is that a thing i mean I, I remember lots of kids when i was in high school got gauged ears and then that now probably as long as he's had his ears gauged like 20 years what happens with that after 20 years? I don't really know because not a lot of people are getting their age gauges uh, well, pierced in the 60s. Well, here's here's the thing. I know. I mean, what happens is obviously if you get a big enough hole, you, you know, eventually, you know, you want to, you might want to, you know, get get them back to where they should have been, where they naturally are. So, I mean, if I mean Jeff Hardy probably will never do anything with his ears. So he'll probably keep him in there and in, 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 when he's in his 80s, you know, for example. But a lot of people have the surgery where they get their lobes like redone, you know. So, but I don't think that the rivalry with uh, Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre is over. Uh, Monday Night Raw ended with Randy Orton putting on the night vision goggles and uh, laying waste to all the legends, uh, playing a poker game in the back. I don't really get that. They were just kind of they showed up at the start of Raw and they're like, we're just gonna hang out and wait for something bad to happen. It's pretty much what happened. But one thing I noticed this week on Raw as well is there was no Raw Underground. Uh, which I thought was really unique. Uh, I mean, Raw overall was decent. Obviously, we saw Asuka take on Selena Vega for the championship of the Raw Women's Championship for a second time uh, after we saw a decent match at the pay-per-view. Uh, obviously, we saw Asuka fight twice, 
uh, in place of Bailey, who wasn't there. And obviously, as well, we didn't see uh, the tag team championship of the women's division on the line as well, because uh, from what I saw, they didn't pass COVID physicals or something of another. Uh, I think Nia Jax tried saying her tag team partner had a bun in the oven, but I don't think that's correct as long as her tag team partner is still Shayna Baszler. Uh, I'm just going to go out and limit say that there. Um, but yeah, Raw this week was all right. Not so bad. We move over to AEW. AEW had a pretty decent show this week. I want to say the one thing, though, that I'm having a, a trouble with hanging out with AEW. I've been watching it every single week pretty religiously. And I guess when AEW first started, you had a lot of names that you recognize. But now, just like WWE, they're starting to cycle through some people. And uh, I mean, what do you make of the people let's just say that aren't household names in AEW. We obviously know the Jerichos, the Moxleys, the Brody Lees, the Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omegas. Those guys keep you very entertained, but we're starting to see a lot more tag teams that are kind of out of the, out of nowhere, you know, a lot more, or less, less big name stars and a lot, you know, more of these indie darlings that are showing up in AEW. Uh, you know, do you think AEW can sustain that? Do you think they can have a good job of making these guys and the new characters? Because what gets all these companies off the ground is the namesakes getting them in. TNA obviously brought in a bunch of namesakes, Kurt Angles, the Stings. You know, AW did the same. But, yeah. you know, eventually it's going to have to be homegrown talent, and, and they're going to have to get rid of the Chris Jerichos, the Kenny Omegas, and it's going to have to be more, you know, people who literally came and debuted in AEW out of nowhere. Uh, do you think that can happen, like, especially right now in the pandemic era where there's not fans in the crowd? trying yeah, to grow a superstar? I don't see it being an issue. I mean, here's the thing. Look at some of the superstars that – you know, they were maybe indie darlings or, you know, up-and-coming wrestlers that, now let's be honest, some of them haven't even touched the WWE Performance Center. Um, a lot of them have gotten into the Performance Center and then got booted, and, you know, AEW's kind of picked them up. Like, I'll think, I'll, I'll throw one name out there that I think he will be the face of AEW for a long time, MJF. I think that's an obvious answer. I mean, he's... I would consider him. I would consider him almost more of a homegrown talent. I mean, he's already been doing the indies things for a long time, but you're you're developing you're developing his character. He's rubbing elbows with the Chris Jerichos of the world, who have done everything. They're actually doing a celebration of 30 years of Jericho, you know, coming right up. So when you get to rub elbows with a guy like that, I mean, same thing with Darby Allen. I mean, Darby Allen, I'm sure has had conversations with Chris Jericho, for example. I'm gonna keep using Chris Jericho because. Chris Jericho is the perfect guy to have in AEW because he's been everywhere. He's been in Japan. He's been to WWE. He's, you know, even back in the day, he was at WCW for Pete's sake. I think even, I think even back further, I think he was in Stampede or at least followed Stampede Wrestling back in the day. He's, he's been around so long that you can have all these really young, talented individuals like Darby Allen, who's in his, they don't even list his age. No one really knows his age. It's like the mystique, the mystique of his character. But I'm assuming he's probably in his mid-20s. We know MJF's in his, in his mid-20s, early 20s. So there's a lot of young talent. Private Party's really good as well. They got some young guys. I like, uh, you know, Mark Mark Quinn's good. They have a, that whole duo there. It's great. Um, I'm not worried about it. I mean, you have these you have these seasoned veteran performers that are, yes, they were indie darlings. The Cody Rose, the Young Bucks, you know, um, I mean, Kenny Omega again. I mean, the, I mean those guys will help groom those young guys that maybe don't have the experience, which is why I'm not worried about it. I think they're doing it the right way. WWE likes to call people up from NXT. AEW likes to call people up from the Indies. It's a different style, but I think it works for each brand respectively. 
It's just hard right now because, like you say, with NXT, at least, that's also a television product we're familiar with. Right now, the indies, for the most part, are kind of on hold. There's still a few indies rocking around the country right now. Uh, but for the most part, the indies are on hold, and these guys are making their debuts with no audience. I think that's a big thing, is trying to build new people when you have no audience. It's easy to have established stars, The Rocks, The Stone Cold. Those people can come out in front of nobody, and they're going to get eyeballs on the TV. But to actually get somebody whom you're trying to decide whether they're going to be a face or a heel. Uh, right now is a tough time to do that because you don't have the crowd to make that decision for the company. You don't have the crowd to really kind of get behind people and kind of, you know, maybe spread some rumors throughout the crowd. Of, like, hey, you know, I've been to a bunch of indie shows. You guys should check these guys out. You know, these guys are really good. You know, when we watch stuff, we're really watching things pretty blindly uh for that part you know when you're in a crowd like i go to indie shows all the time and there's lots of times i don't know people but somebody else might know them and they'll pass along hey if you never heard of these guys watch these guys they were in this and you know kind of spread that and that's how i get to know them a little bit better but without that i'm watching blind you know what speaking of that i'm going to flip it over to the wwe side i'm curious to see what's going to happen with dominic mysterio once fans are in the audience because this whole mysterio thing he hasn't really been a part of it with fans so i'm curious to see what the real reaction is going to be with fans in the stands, so to speak. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk some NXT TakeOver. And before we talk, or after we talk TakeOver, uh, we're going to talk some of our uh, favorite matches or matches that we think deserved a little bit higher accreditation. Last week we were talking about how Dave Meltzer gave that tag team backlot brawl street fight a couple weeks ago in Dynamite a five-star accreditation and how he never gave any matches between 2000 and 2010 five stars so we decided to find some matches that we think were deserving of that but before we get to that we'll talk takeover this upcoming week five matches right now confirmed for takeover 31 this sunday night on the wwe network uh, a lot of big matches uh, september 23rd episode of nxt is pretty much where a lot of these matches came about william regal when he announced Damian Priest would defend the NXT North American Championship against Johnny Gargano. That same episode saw Candice LeRae win a battle royal to become the number one contender to fight Io Shirai for the Women's Championship this upcoming Sunday. And also that same September 23rd episode saw Kyle O'Reilly win the gauntlet match to face Finn Balor this weekend. So let's just start with uh, that match. Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano. We'll start right there. The NXT North American Championship who do you think is leaving with the uh, NXT North American title? As much as it pains me to say this, um, I do think Johnny Gargano is going to win the match. I, I, I don't like it because I want Priest to have the belt on for a lot longer, and you know that's that's where I want them to go. But I know eventually, at some point, they're going to put a belt on Gargano. They're going to put a they're going to put a belt on Candice, and then they're. Because I feel like that's been they've been really together a lot lately on NXT from what I've been seeing. You know, I feel like this weekend could be the time where they make them the power couple, both uh, with gold around their waist. That's that's where I'm at. And that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, as much as I, I love Damian Priest, I think he has a great character. I think taking the belt off him at this point, I don't think it's great, but I get what they're doing. They want to make the Gargano, the NXT, the couple of NXT. So that's I mean. To answer that, I mean, we answered two matches right there, the Garganos. So Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly for the NXT World Championship, as they would call it. Uh, is Finn Balor leaving with the belt? I mean, this is a really – Kyle O'Reilly, Finn Balor, I think that has a chance, Dave Meltzer, to be a five-star match. If you want to take a look at it, Mr. Meltzer. Yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave, the guy that I don't really pay attention to or really care about so much. I think this has a really good potential to be – 
a five-star. That's right, a five-star match. And here's the thing. Um, Balor, O'Reilly, these guys are both technicians in the ring. They have done this for so long. They know the, they know what they need to do. And here's the thing. Kyle O'Reilly's finally getting a much-deserved push. He's going, and here's the thing. Adam Cole and 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 O'Reilly, they're gonna be they're gonna be faces going forward. And I see I see um, I see Strong and Fish. I think they're gonna be heels, and I think there's gonna be a split there. But that's another day. But Kyle O'Reilly, I will tell you right now, he he's gonna put on a great match. Bather always puts on a great match. And I think at the end of the road, I'm gonna have to say Finn Balor, only because it'd be so short of a term to have him have the belt for so you know for this point and for the, like this duration makes zero sense to me it, it you know what a, a good loss for kyle o'reilly is a good learning experience and you can you know you can build on that for a, maybe a future nxt reign title reign or for him and cole to make them jump to the main roster because here's what i see happening i see cole and i see o'reilly breaking off from the undisputed era you know, and I see them going up, up to the main roster. And I honestly, I see Fish, Fish and Strong staying, staying down at the NXT. And pardon the word, or pardon the phrase, but I think I can see them floundering. See what I did there? I think they're going to be floundering in the NXT. But again, Balor wins the match. O'Reilly's going to look good. Cole's going to look good. We're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see them on the main roster soon. I think. Two other matches on the card, uh, Koshida versus Velveteen Dream. Uh, this all started before NXT 30 and the qualifier for the latter match. And then obviously that was Velveteen Dream uh, going after Koshida. And then Koshida returned the favor a few weeks ago on NXT. They're going to find a singles match. Should be uh, a pretty good match as well. Nothing's on the line, but either way, a nice little rivalry match between two very capable competitors in NXT. Somebody like Velveteen Dream, who you think should have been called up like three years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it should be a great match. And, and to answer the question we actually had going in the Clash of Champions, uh, I don't even know why I didn't think of this, but uh, in case you're wondering, the NX, the Cruiserweight Championship uh, is property of NXT. And I should have thought of this, too, for the fact that former Cruiserweight Champion, uh, you know, Cedric Alexander is on the main roster. So essentially, Cruiserweight Championship is like NXT Championship, you know. when Once you leave it, you then move up. You don't take it with you to the main roster. Uh, but Santana... Uh, Santos Escobar and Isaiah Swerve Scott, uh, those guys who have been pretty much on 205 Live, which I guess you could say 205 Live is another NXT show. So NXT's got three hours of programming each week if you count 205 Live. Uh, but those five matches, and I hope they don't add more than five matches. It's a perfect amount of matches. I want a two-hour show. If it goes more than two hours, I want it to be because these matches go long. You know, maybe that main title match between Baylor and O'Reilly goes 45 minutes. Uh, but other than that, Five matches, perfect amount of matches. Uh, I think for every pay-per-view, WWE, NXT. But I hope they don't really add any more stuff just to add stuff. I think 215, 230 is that nice range of it's a long enough pay-per-view. So if we can, you know, keep in that two-hour 15, two-hour 30 mark, I think it's the perfect length. I think, I mean, that'd be, that WWE should be hitting that every every time. They should be hitting that out number no later than two hours and 30 minutes. I think having five matches... One of them probably goes long, or maybe two of them go really long, and we go over two hours. Fantastic. No sense in throwing in random matches just to throw in random matches just to fill time. But stick with the core five and have them have them just you know blow the roof off, so to speak. So as we were alluding to a few minutes ago, uh, Dave Meltzer he left a bunch of matches off of his five star accreditation in the year 2000 to 2010. He only labeled about five matches in that 10 year span as five star matches. None of them in WWE, 
Uh, and so me and uh, Brandon here, we decided to look back at the decade that was the 2000s through 2010 and try to find some matches that we think either deserve five star or at least definitely look to be looked at as five star matches. Uh, Brandon told me you got a lot of matches from the year 2000. So I feel like we're not going to do a lot of crossover here, but I'll let you go uh, start with what matches you got. All right. So. I will, I will start with the obvious match. Um, it is the original TLC match, the first TLC match, uh, SummerSlam 2000 um, against the Dudleys, Hardys, and Edwin Christian. That's you know I have a you know I have a soft spot for those guys. Those three always put on great matches. Anytime you had tables, ladders, and chairs, and you had the Dudleys, the Hardys, and Edwin Christian, it was a perfect thing. Because anytime you think of those guys, this is how I look at it. Dudleys, we obviously know. Tables, Hardys. We know ladders. They're going to do crazy stuff off ladders. Edge and Christian, the concerto, chairs. It's the it's the perfect match. It's that was one of my favorite matches of of the you know the first decade of the 2000s. And that's to me, I, I think that would be number one for me. I, I don't I didn't really rank these. I just kind of came up with five that I really liked. And and I'll start with another one. Um, Benoit, Angle, and uh, Chris Jericho. At WrestleMania 16, WrestleMania 2K, that was uh, for the IC title, which Benoit won. That was IC another IC title. Remember, it was two out of three. Oh, that's right. Fall. That's right. It was the it one was your European title. title. One fall for the IC title. That was a great match. I enjoyed that match. I thought, I thought that should be on that you know on that you know five star Meltzer you know rating list. Another one, actually, there's two more with Benoit, but the other two. Are with another with the same guy that was in the other match, Y2J. There's Chris Benoit, Chris uh, Chris Jericho, Judgment Day 2000, and then in the same year you have Judgment Day or I'm sorry, SummerSlam 2000, Benoit Y2 Y uh, Y2J. Th- those two were just magic in the 2000s or early, especially the year 2000. When you put Jericho and you put Benoit in matches together, magic was going to happen. So that's why I have three out of my five consist of two guys in particular, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. You know, obviously we know all the stuff that's been documented with Chris, Chris Benoit, but when he was, you know, alive and things were going, you know, going well, you know, in all facets of, of life, Benoit was one of the best wrestlers that WWE in the wrestling game has ever seen. Chris Jericho, same thing. We were just talking about he's been doing it 30 years. So that was in his prime. That was 20 years ago. So he was he was still young at that point. So those matches were fantastic. And then of course I got one more that you know I have to I have to keep I have to put on the list because they were part of my childhood. Uh, Cactus Jack and Triple H Rumble 2K great match. Cactus Jack Triple H fantastic. I mean say no more. Those two just always blew the roof off. And that was if I'm not mistaken, you might have to fact check me. You might know this better than me. But Cactus Jack, I think that might have been Mick Foley's last, like, real deep run full-time as a, a superstar. Well, I mean, that was that was advertised, obviously. He fought Triple H in that amazing street fight that made my list. He fought him again at Hell in a Cell, where his quote-unquote career was on the line. And then his career was revived by Linda McMahon before the WrestleMania 2000 match, in which he lost again. Uh, he did go away, obviously, after that. Uh, came back as commissioner in late 2000. Uh, but as we know, Mick Foley, uh, from what I believe he's wrestled his last match now, but yeah, his last run as a 
uh, person who's going to be there every night, you know, on the house show circuit, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that was it. And as I mentioned, Cactus Jack, Triple H, Madison Square Garden, Street Fight. I mean, that match was awesome. I mean, was it a five-star match? I don't know. I definitely put it lower on the list, but it was an amazing match. Um, entertaining, no doubt. Like I said, Madison Square Garden, it really felt big time when those guys fought. It, that was at the heart of me liking wrestling. And for good reason, because you're selling out the world's most famous arena for one of the best pay-per-views of the year. And these guys are showing up on a pay-per-view where it's normally the Royal Rumble is the match you look forward to. I mean, that whole card was just full of stuff where even if the Royal Rumble didn't happen, that would have been a great card with the Dudleys and the Hardys in the tables match. And then that world title match, Taz making his debut. I mean, the world title match or another match for the main event could have not even been the Royal Rumble. And that would have still been a memorable pay-per-view. Year 2001, everyone knows WrestleMania 17, but right before that, Stone Cold had to finish off his rivalry with Triple H and the WWE debut of a three stages of the hell match at No Way Out 2001. The match went about 45 to 50 minutes in the middle of the card. No titles on the line. Wasn't the main event, just the guys going, the best of the best going at it for almost an hour. And uh, that I remember watching it at the time, and I hadn't seen a lot of really great wrestling at the time. I was watching WWE for the last couple of years, and I saw a lot of stuff that was entertaining. But that was one of those where that really showed me what pay-per-view was all about. I mean, those guys went for 45 minutes. Unexpected, too. It's not the main event. It doesn't have number one contender on the line. We already know Stone Cold's going to fight The Rock at WrestleMania. Just a grudge match. Uh, you know, Triple H and Stone Cold, they were magic whether they were together a year later winning the tag titles or later that year winning the tag titles it was about two months later actually those guys formed the uh the power the big power trip but right before the power trip they put on a hell of a match 2003 jericho Shawn michaels wrestlemania 19 again chris jericho as you mentioned with chris benoit similar with him i mean he could really do no wrong especially in the early 2000s you put him in there with Shawn michaels who still had many years left in him he was actually kind of making a return uh, remember that WrestleMania 19 was like his return to WrestleMania for the first time since he lost the belt to Stone Cold five years earlier. Uh, so it was a chance for Shawn Michaels to show he still got it. Uh, a match I'll say is definitely not five-star, but you can't admit it. It was pretty damn entertaining and had everything that that backlash street fight had. Mick Foley, Edge, WrestleMania 22. I mean, the moment of Mick Foley being speared through the flaming table. That match, one of my favorites. Great match. I remember that. that was a good moment with the the you know the the fire when you put the when you get fire in a match. He smells on the call. Yeah. WrestleMania 23. I'll admit, uh, you know, I went to WrestleMania 23. I uh, had a good time. The one match for the most part, it was a pretty forgettable card, except for this one match: Undertaker Batista. Uh, probably Batista's best match ever in my eyes in WWE. I mean, he's had some pretty decent matches, but him and Undertaker, again, in the more in the middle of the WrestleMania 23 card, uh, just an amazing match. I mean, Undertaker, I feel a lot of people call Shawn Michaels Mr. WrestleMania, but there's a reason why I call Undertaker Mr. WrestleMania, uh, because of matches like that. And then the last two matches, I will say, these are both five-star matches. These are not my opinion. These are matches that I, I am actually, after going back and reviewing these matches, going, yeah, how if John Cena, CM Punk at, me, at Money in the Bank was such an amazing match, how are these not mentioned? So about a month later, after WrestleMania 23, 
right before Backlash, where it was going to be a fatal four-way match for the championship with Shawn Michaels, I think Randy Orton, John Cena, Shawn Michaels on Monday Night Raw on the go-home show in London put on an hour-long match. And that's when Raw was only two hours. So half of the show was John Cena, Shawn Michaels going at it for half of the show. No title on the line, just Shawn Michaels wanting to get the win over John Cena. And normally on a go-home show, you don't expect a lot. But still a match as soon as I read it, yeah, on a lot of people's list of like the last top 10 of the last 20 years for sure. And, and I'll finish off the list with a match that, again, this goes without saying, how do you not have this? Dave Meltzer, I understand you're jaded. I understand he's somebody who's very particular. Shawn Michaels and Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. No. How do you not have that on there? How do you not have that as, as a five-star? I, you, know, you know, here's the thing, too. I, that was that was one of the matches I was thinking about. And I honestly, when I was putting mine together, it slipped my mind. Don't ask me why it slipped my mind. Because I actually, when we were... We were teasing it last week. That was the exact match I had in my head. That's the God's honest truth, and I and I didn't put it in my five. It would be. It, it's obviously one of the great matches of all time. And if Meltzer doesn't put it as a five star, then for the people watching at home, not on the, you know, if, you, if you're on audio, you can't see me put middle fingers up to Meltzer. That's how I feel about 2008 Undertaker HBK. That match was absolutely fantastic. So. Brandon, I got some homework for you again next week. So next week's topic, after we move into the month of October, the month of October has a pay-per-view that for some reason is very, very popular in people's eyes in the past. I'm talking WCW's Halloween Havoc. People love that pay-per-view, even though it wasn't, every, it wasn't WCW's WrestleMania or anything, but uh, just the imagery, uh, the big blown up pumpkin, just the whole theme itself, Halloween Havoc. Just an amazing pay-per-view. A lot of people want to bring it back. So I guess the question I'm going to have to you, 12 pay-per-views in a year, or maybe you pick 11 pay-per-views in a year. You've got all the licensing. You're Vince McMahon. You've got the licensing for WCW. You've got the licensing for WWE. You can create a pay-per-view calendar from January to December with whatever pay-per-views you want to pick. Obviously, you're probably going to pick Royal Rumble for January and WrestleMania for March or April. But other than that, I want you to create a WWE pay-per-view calendar for 12 months. Which pay-per-views are you picking? Uh, are you bringing back Fall Brawl? Are you getting rid of SummerSlam and replacing it with Slamboree? Whatever. You, or, or you maybe, I'd probably keep the ECW ones out of there. They don't have too much of a, a real a namesake. I'd probably say if I was Vince McMahon, I'd be using a lot of ECW names for NXT pay-per-views. Yeah, I but, would. You know, WCW, WWE. Old WWE, too. You don't even have to just, you know, use current ones. What, w, you know, No Way Out's on the list, Judgment Day, No Mercy, Armageddon, pay-per-views that are retired in WWE's sake. Uh, you just come up with a 12-month calendar. I'll come up with a 12-month calendar and decide every single month WWE's got to put out one pay-per-view. What's the theme? What's the name? I'm leaving that for next week. But as we finish this week's show, uh, a few tidbits and notes I, I alluded to during the tease. Brandon, what are you doing in 2022? Uh, are you giving the new XFL a try? That's what The Rock says bringing back in 2022. It's official. I am. I am. I saw the hype video this morning. Uh, great hype video. The Rock, if The Rock's going to put his name and his money and his energy where his mouth is and all, everything that The Rock does, he does it big. He does it right. He's got the right backing. He's going to have the whole thing done the right way. So, yes, I'm excited. I love football. You know I'm a big football guy. You're the baseball guy, and you're the baseball aficionado. 
football is my number one. So I think the XFL with the re like the redo, I, I'm gonna call it the redo or rebrand, however you want to do it. The redo with with the Rock is going to be fun. I think it's going to it's gonna give you know it's gonna give the NFL some ideas because I think the Rock is gonna do some things that the fans have always wanted, and he's a fan of football. So I'm excited to see in two years or year and a half, we'll just say, 2022 XFL, let's do it. Let's go, Rock. XFL is like a cockroach. It just won't die. As we finish off this week's show, I was listening to JBL on this week's edition of another podcast, Corey Graves After the Bell podcast. And did you know the Acolyte Protection Agency, their famous, uh, their beer drinking skits and getting paid to beat people up at the bars, all started from a drunken night that JBL had at a hotel room where he got drunk and a little belligerent and kind of made WWE look a little embarrassed. In fact, Vince McMahon threw out a little thing while he was still drunk that says, I hope you still have connections in Japan, and then called him into his office the next day uh, to tell him, that, hey, what you did last night, let's put that on TV and make that your new guys' character. So JBL drinking beer and beating people up in real life is the reason why they ended up getting the payday to beat people up and drink beer on WWE. I got to add something to that story. If that story happened in 2020, JBL's nowhere near, nowhere near a WWE ring. Let's just put that there. If, if, yeah. if JBL why, was not made for this era. Yeah, well, and that's why WWE in 98 through the year 2001, that's why so much better because things were so much more organically. Things happened, you know, not so scriptedly, as you see, people just acting in regular life and doing things that would essentially get them fired one day. He literally thought he was walking into an office to get fired to find out that he was getting probably one of his most popular gimmicks that he's ever had based off of it. And here's the thing, and you get to and you get to partner up with uh, Farouk. I mean, Farouk is Ron Simmons, one of the greats. Yeah, they were partnered. They were our, It was already when they were already the accolades, because Ron Simmons thought when Bradshaw was going to the office that they were both getting fired uh, because they were a tag team. But he came out and said the accolades are now going to be the APA. Well, you so, know, what, you know what Ron Simmons did when they when they walked out and they looked at each other. He stared at JBL and said, "Damn." Probably. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Heal the Face podcast. Make sure you subscribe if you don't already so you can find our show without any trouble at all. For Brandon Clements, for myself, Jared Wicks, take over this weekend. We'll talk that on the road to Hell in a Cell and much, much more. This has been another edition of the Heal to the Face podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.